This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, episodes 10 and 11. Our 51st day on this planet is by far our most difficult. We've traveled more than half the day and have uttered less than three words between us. And yet, in our minds, we all tread the same ground repeatedly. Did we do right? Did we surpass the bounds of humanity by leaving Joya? It was a very fast vote, one that swept us into its anger. Now, alone with ourselves, we're left to ponder the weight of that anger. And for some, the weight of their heart. Still, we move forward. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that worms its way into your ear before exploding in your brain. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Luke, don't talk. Dream. <laughs> That's a great line. Great line. I thought so. Words to live by, really. I have it actually in a nice cursive writing above my doorway. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Anytime someone does anything I don't like, I'm just going to go... Oh, that is funny. Obviously, we'll talk about it as we get into it. That poor actress had the worst role. I was just embarrassed for her the entire time. (laughs) And listener, that, of course, is our guest this week, uh, returning guest, Will. Welcome back, Will. Thank you for having me. He's got the hat trick. It's the third time here. It's true. What what were the first two? Do you guys remember? Uh, Leonard Nimoy. Baffled, yep. And then... What was the second one? It was that one where the guy went to the earth and it was exactly the same except Florida didn't exist. What? Remember the guy went to the new planet and it was exactly the same, but then Florida didn't exist for some reason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it called? I had to look it up. And once I saw it, I was like, oh, right. It was The Stranger. The Stranger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we get into this, Jordan, we're halfway through. I know. Can you believe it? In some ways, it feels like it's been a long time. In some ways, it feels like this show hasn't developed at all. (laughs) (laughs) But, George, just think back on all the search parties we've enjoyed. (laughs) Every episode. Uh, Will, when we were recording The Stranger, you mentioned Earth 2, and you asked if we were ever going to watch it, because this was a show you used to watch, possibly? Uh, It's true. And uh, having now watched a couple episodes as an adult, I feel horrible for inflicting this on you both. Oh, we were going to watch this anyway. This wasn't because you requested it. Oh, okay. I was just curious what you remembered and uh, how, it stands, how it stands in your memory now that you've watched two episodes. Honestly, all I remember, I would, I would look forward to watching it. Like, my family would watch it. Like, my dad and my sister. I don't know if my mom ever watched it with us, but I would look forward to it every week. And that's insanity. <laughs> it's a different time. I can't believe it. It's a different time. I remember being like absolutely baffled when um, they canceled it. I remember like how how could you cancel this show? It's it's fantastic, <laughs> and and uh, it's uh, it's terrifying how horrible it is. And but it is that perspective of when you're a kid, the way you look at things is much different. You know, there's whatever you're liking about it may not be the same when you're an adult. 
I just felt like I think it, as a kid I remember just liking that it was uh, like there was so many possibilities and there was like aliens and there was like these jail people and there was oh I love that you remember the jail people <laughs> yeah because they weren't really in either of the episodes right I was actually going to ask you guys about that. Yeah, no, we learned about the penal colonists earlier on when Tim Curry was the villain. He was like one of these criminals who came to the planet. But they've been since they've got rid of his arc, they've been relatively removed from it. Though they do mention them in one of these episodes, but we haven't seen them in probably three or four episodes now. I just remember thinking like, oh, it's like Australia, but another planet. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I can't believe that I used to like this show. <laughs> it's it's so wild. Is your favorite character still Morgan? Uh, which one's Morgan? Oh, yeah, he's barely even in these, isn't he? He's the guy with the like wrestler hair kind of ponytail. Oh yeah, yeah, he's like a comedian, right? In real life, isn't he? Oh, I'm not sure. He might be because he's playing a comic character in these shows. Yeah, he's just like he always just looks like he's done like eight lines of coke, and he's like <laughs> runs into the scene like ah. <laughs> That's the and one. Runs away. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely top three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, should we get into these episodes? Yeah, let's do it. Here is the IMDb summary for episode 10, Redemption. With narration by Devin, Alonzo seeks and returns Julia to the camp. Yale is then the first to be shot by a deadly assailant, identified later by Riley as a Zed. The group must now find him and stop the threat. And that was courtesy of R.W. Zimdapa. I have one quick question before we start. Did they ever say, I assume Z stood for something, Z-E-D. Is, is that correct? Did they ever say what it stood they for? They did. They did say what it stood for. What does it stand for? Well, well let's wait till we talk about the Z. <laughs> okay. We've got a lot to get into <laughs> with the Z character. <laughs> but what I liked is this one sort of places us in the timeline because it's, it's the first time in a while they've said how long they've been there. And this is day 51. Hmm. It feels much longer. It's weird. It both feels longer, and at times I feel like they've been on the planet for less time as well. Like, it, like they're almost there two months, but sometimes it feels like they've been there for two weeks. Yeah. It's hard to get a sense of how long they've been here, but now we know. And last episode, Will, they uh, abandoned Dr. Heller when it was revealed she was some sort of uh, council spy in their midst. And how long would you say it's been since they've abandoned her, Jordan? Oh, it seems about, I don't know, 30 seconds or so. I mean, it's been under 24 hours, it seems like, because Alonzo immediately turns around and goes back for her. I think it's the second time I've had this feeling where they've had a character, they've done something sort of interesting with a character. The other one was Tim Tim Curry's character, Gull, where they can just let it breathe for a little bit and let that person go away. And then maybe come back later in the season, have something interesting happen. And I thought that could happen with Julia. Like... Leave her off in the wilderness. Who knows what's going to happen, you know, 10 episodes down the line and when she comes back. Or even better, what if they just come across her dead body later and then you have like, oh, that was a bad decision. But instead it's like, kick it out of the group and she's back 10 minutes later. It is weird. It is like, because, you know, on these shows you usually want to reset to this, like the same place. You want to have be in the same place at the beginning of every episode. That's how a, like non-serialized TV works. And this one like constantly is just like, oh, this is different. This is serialized. We left her behind. But they just reset to zero at the beginning of the next episode. Yeah. As opposed to the end. I just didn't know why they didn't do that at the end of the last episode, if they were just going to do it at the start of the next one. Cliffhanger. 
Also, I'm just saying, I have some criticism of how this group runs their whole organization here on the planet, but she's literally the only doctor they have. So I know they voted her off, but like, <laughs> guys, that's some short-term thinking. It's literally the only doctor you have. If the most minor thing happens, you can't deal with it. And the most minor thing could happen because this episode, as is going back to find Julia, Danziger's going ahead on his own to scout out the path. And uh, we kind of, they get themselves into some trouble very quickly because it's very funny. Uh, I thought maybe this whole Alonzo going to get Heller thing would be like a longer portion of this episode. But he like drives back. He gets there at night. She's hiding in the woods for some reason. And then he just picks her up and drives her back to camp. Yeah, why was she hiding in the woods? I don't, I don't know. She just looked terrified. She was just hiding, terrified in the woods. I watched the uh, the teaser, like the the weekly catch up, and the first five minutes, and I was like, okay, I think I, I got it all. This. <laughs> you don't you don't need a lot to get caught up. <laughs> there is a shot of her coming out of her like sphere and being like, "What? Where am I?" Looking around and being like afraid in the woods, and then Alonzo like very dramatically is like, "We can't leave her. We have to go <laughs> back. How dare we?" And then there's like a bunch of people sitting around talking. And she's like, he's like. How, how can how can we leave her behind? And then, then one of the guys was like, "What? Well, we did vote on it. Like we literally just had this conversation." And then he's like, "No, I thought about it for thirty seconds, and I had like, like I, I didn't even watch the episode before, and I got the feeling that that like the one character was like so annoyed that." Really, this again? Like we just, we just, we just left her. You, we just had this vote. You said yes. What are you saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. Did they say it was unanimous? I think they implied it was. He just forgives faster than everyone else. <laughs> he he just loves to forgive. You know what's funny too is, um, I mean, go, going back, I think like eleven-year-old me was probably like really worried about what was going to happen to her when like the group left her there, and I was like waiting all week to find out. But I also, um, I thought, like, Alonzo was, like, uh, like a paraplegic. That's why he was in the go-kart. He was for a while. He had, he had broken his leg. So for a good six episodes, he couldn't walk. So that might be what you're remembering. No, just watching this. <laughs> what it is is the vehicles they've decided that clearly can actually work. Like, you know, they're not doing any special effects. These little vehicles can work. But I don't know how well designed they are for someone sitting in it. And so everyone looks very awkward, their leg placement. And I think that might make it look like he doesn't have the ability to move his legs because they're in such an awkward position when he's sitting. Well, everyone else was like walking and this like relatively fit young man is just like in this like thing with like a bandaged foot. And I was like, oh, this guy's like a paraplegic. I wonder what happened to him. And then like the next scene he's like walking through the woods with a gun. <laughs> and i'm like oh no he's just a dick like just the he, it's true he's like 25 he's the only one riding in a car yeah <laughs> like how come he got it i don't understand they voted on it and then he was like you know what i really think i should have it <laughs> unanimously i get this card <laughs> what i noticed this episode jordan and this is dating back to when he had a broken leg He's still wearing those pants that they've cut off at, <laughs> I like, know. at the, like, crotch, but they've just put, like, a white, like, another, it's like he's wearing long underwear underneath it, and they've never changed that costume. They all are still wearing the same clothes they crashed in, with maybe a, a change of a shirt or something. This is the worst planned restarting of society ever. They don't have 
any changing of clothing, let alone they have, have done no research into the planet, can't sustain life, nor do they know anything about the weather of the planet. Yet they want to restart a whole civilization here. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because they crashed. <laughs> It doesn't matter if you crashed or not. They had all the supplies still. <laughs> uh, no, the Grendlers stole all their pants, remember? <laughs> the Grendlers only took those lights, those stupid lights. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's move on here. Because, yes, Solace goes. He gets, uh, he gets Dr. Heller. He brings her back. Nobody's happy to see her. But she offers up that communications pill she's been talking with Riley on as a, like, a, a form of redemption, I guess. She's like, I'll give you the council communications device. Please let me back into the group. But mm-hmm. really, before they can have any conversation about whether whether Dr. Heller's returning to the group, Zero picks up a projectile approaching at 200 meters per second. Thank God for Zero the robot, eh? He's always helping out. He didn't really help that much, though. Terrifying looking. <laughs> He's like, oh, there's a projectile. Like, that's all he does is... Not even know, the direction he... it's coming from. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's not that helpful. He's just like, hey, by the way, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Confirmed. It happened. <laughs> Well, like, the, everybody in the group is scrambling and trying to, like, hit the deck and crawl around. Except Yale's just standing there, and he just gets hit in the chest. Yeah. Yale, hit the ground, buddy. The scrambling, like, montage, you can tell, has been built from, like, other shit. Like, they're, they're just scrambling to nowhere, and there's, like, they're not doing anything. They're not actually trying to accomplish, like, getting to safety or anything. They're just, like, running and looking, and uh, Morgan is, like top-notch scramble acting <laughs> but that's what happened when a worm bullet is being shot that's what happens everyone scrambles yes uh thank god dr heller's there eh? good thing solace old solace brought her back because they need her immediately to pull a pull a bullet out of yale and it is a worm bullet uh what's a worm bullet you guys will it's an ingenious invention where the bullet isn't designed to be a bullet it's designed to bore into your body so it's really just like a different way of killing you and a meaner way of killing you i like when they pull it out of him you can see it's like a little drill head on it and it's still spinning yeah it is funny though you're right it's just for some reason a more cruel way of killing someone which i'm not sure why do you think they would just have a more effective way you know a bullet that explodes or uh has a higher impact but no they're like we just like it happening real slow (laughs) yeah it's actually a worse bullet than just a normal bullet <laughs> because you have an hour to get it out of your body. It's just like, it's like, a, it's like um, screenwriting 101 stakes wrapped up in a bullet. <laughs> it's like you need the ticking clock. You need like an explosion at the end. It's like hilarious. There is actually a scene midway through the episode where they're talking about like this bullet and how it bores through you and how it takes an hour. And literally the only person who says this is Morgan Martin. He turns around and he's just like, why did anyone invent this? And no one answers him. <laughs> I love, like, it's probably, like, one screenwriter making fun of another screenwriter, like, in the, the script. Like, whoever came up with, like, in the room for the, like, like, the bullet idea. The other screenwriter's, like, making fun of him by making the character be like, why would anyone do this? <laughs> um, but... Because uh, they want to know why someone's shooting at them and how this is happening, and they assume it's Riley from the council must be behind it, uh, Devin sends Dr. Heller back into the virtual to, you know, find out what's going on. It's very funny because she hops in there, and Riley immediately is just like, wait, 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 someone's shooting at you? Listen, I didn't send them after you. Is it a worm bullet? And they're like, yes. He's like, okay, you got to go and get that worm bullet. It's about to explode. Yeah. And there's a, you know, a race as it's beeping to grab this bullet they've already taken out of Yale. And then they 
throw it into, I guess, the distance. And this has to be the worst effect this show has ever done, right? Definitely the worst. I bought it. That ex- you bought it. That explosion for you was like top notch. Yeah, I was like, oh. Well, it is weird on a show that uses a lot of practical effects and any sort of uh, visual effects they have done. And is very high budget. Yeah, and they've done pretty well. Like, it's looked pretty good. Like, the guys who go into the sand and all the little puppets and stuff. But for whatever reason, these explosions this episode are, like, comically bad. There's, like, three of them, too. I just kept watching them. Like, what what happened? Did they, like, they, they just blew the budget, and when it got to the explosions, they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's clip art all the way now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you think, like, I, I noticed that Amblin was the producer. Do you think, like, Spielberg was watching it and being like, Oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I think at this point in this in the in the series, uh, Spielberg had uh, stopped watching rough cuts. He was too busy watching the cuts for Animaniacs. Oh, true. Well, we've I for some reason decided that was his passion project this time, so we ignored <laughs> Earth too. I also, when they like go to get the bullet out of the person that got shot, I like you was very happy that the group had their doctor back. And then all she does is, like, turn on her hand and then, like, scan it over his body. And I was like, okay, well, if you're going to leave someone to die in the woods, at least take her magical arm from her so you can, like, diagnose yourselves. It's a good point. Her, that Nintendo Power Glove she has is most of her job. <laughs> yeah, the Nintendo Power Glove is amazing. Um, but very quickly, uh, what what we come to find out is this shooter who's out there shooting at them is a Z, a Z, a Z-E-D, which stands for Jordan zero emotional defects <laughs> i didn't catch that i knew they were super soldiers but i, di- I didn't know their major problem is uh is emotional <laughs> they're they're offshoots of the yale program uh, designed to make the perfect soldier and that actually just made me like desperately want to know what yale stands for now oh yeah i suppose that's true my best guess was uh i wrote it down youthful android life entity <laughs> that's pretty good yeah but given that, like, Zed stands for zero emotional defects, like, I'm just like, it could be, any, like, that's not even a description of what you describe <laughs> a thing as. We're going to get to see him soon, but I would describe him as a Borg from Star Trek and uh, Dennis Hopper from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, he's got that hair. Yeah. He's just a bad ripoff of Universal Soldier. That's my exact note. That's my exact note. He's like, it's a Universal Soldier. Yeah. And they couldn't get Dolph Lundgren? unavailable unavailable what i noticed jordan i'm gonna address this to you because you're the only one who watched this series with me but he has like one ear cup over one ear Mm -hmm. which reminded me of ficus from quark oh yeah okay yeah yeah (laughs) the same same basic idea as that character it's probably just sitting in some studio somewhere and they just keep grabbing it for stuff but essentially uh what Azed has is he has boosted senses he has organic armor which i guess means his skin is invulnerable but he is wearing bits of armor too, right? Well, he's got a leather jacket on. He's got a cool all-leather outfit. <laughs> we never got to see the motorbike that went with that. And he only has one weakness, which Riley will reveal to them at some point, is that there's a soft piece of his skin at the base of his neck. Yeah, for some reason. And uh, what uh, I don't know if you caught his modus operandi, but it's very funny. Well, what's that? He has basically a computer-style list of uh, criteria for wh- who he kills in a group of people. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He does. He starts with someone who who has a weapon, correct? Yeah, weapons first. Then technology. Then technology. Then it goes. He kills from largest to smallest. <laughs> 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 and yeah, those worm bullets he uses 
how they like to kill is they they aim for the extremities and then allow for that hour for the bullet to bore through the body into the torso before it explodes and vaporizes them. Mm, terrifying. Um, and uh, they basically, apparently they started getting used during the mining province uprisings of the late 2180s, where they killed hundreds of miners. That's ironic. The mining bullet kills the miners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could have just been shooting it right into the walls. <laughs> this guy, uh, Zed, we'll just call him. I actually think it's a pretty good plot for an episode, especially, you know, like it's that western sort of plot you have the caravan going through a dangerous area and there's some sort of bad cowboys that are uh you know snipers or something like that but i never got a sense through this entire episode any sense of dread or worry for the people like it's not like they were pinned down and anytime they moved he was shooting or anything it's like he shot one person he's like i'll see you guys later next week i just didn't sense any sort of um like there was any sort of worry at all you make a good point. It would have been more in the line of that old Westy pioneer thing where if they were pinned down and having to like stay down. I mean, basically what happens after they kind of learn all about the Zed and that he like killed all these military officers. So they like scrapped the program of Zeds because they were too unstable. Immediately after that, someone else does get shot. Like it is almost like that for a second because Yale gets shot. They learn all about the Zed and then Alonzo gets shot in his broken leg again. Yeah, that poor leg. He should have taken that bone juice. <laughs> and uh basically like again we just get another scene where they pull the bullet out throw it another explosion but after that it is you're right like there's very little to do we kind of cut away to danzinger because he's turned off his comms deck for some reason so he's just wandering around the woods with no idea this thing's hunting them and he kind of stumbles across the zed camp he calls in and like warns them he's like i found something they're like yes we know where have you been and then he himself gets shot in the leg and captured by the Zed, basically. And this is the stakes of the episode is like, can we get to Danzinger in an hour before the bullet gets to his torso and explodes? We've seen that sort of thing many times in TV shows where someone is injured and they only have so much time or, or something similar. But I didn't get that sense of this episode at all. I mean, maybe it just took too long to get there. But like, I wasn't worried that Danzinger was going to run out of time. There was plenty of time. I mean, it's one of those things in these shows. You never worried Danzinger's going to die. <laughs> I think also they were, they were too busy with this, like, redemption plot of the Doctor, like, in the caravan. And she's not even really that redeemed. She's just, like, they. it's like they remember how useful it is to have a Doctor. <laughs> well, she, like, grabs the gun and, like, runs out, and she's like, shoot me, take oh, that's me. True. And I was like, wow, they. what did this girl do? Because they're really trying to, like, get the audience back on side with her. <laughs> it is funny, and it is just, like... We never see anyone react to it. It is like she's really like she's really hamming it up for like, look at how much you need me. What would be funny is while she's doing that and she's really trying to make herself a martyr, but everyone's looking in the other direction. So no one notices at all. That's the shot <laughs> yeah. they should have had. Yeah. But uh, basically what we kind of learn once Danziger's shot is the Zed wants to take a blood sample from him. And he starts asking Danziger questions about being on Earth, too. I believe when I believe when Danziger's like, I'm not going to answer questions. The uh, the Zed says, you obey or you die. Yeah. Which is uh, great, great stuff. This is Universal Soldier. I'm a big fan of. <laughs> well, it seemed like he can also control the bullet. So they're, like, the bullet's uh, you know, engineering just becomes more and more impressive as the show goes along. <laughs> um, but essentially what we learn about him is he has been set up on Earth 2 because he's sort of catching these penal colonists who were sent there earlier, shooting them in the leg, taking some blood samples, doing a little bit of a survey, getting their name so he can attach it to the blood samples, and then 
shooting that to the council so they can like get information on what it's like to live on Earth too as a it's like a study. It's like a weird study on wild criminals to figure out how to civilize Earth 2. I love that he has to do paperwork as a sniper. <laughs> like his whole job. No, he's basically just like some biologist who has to go in the woods and like catch that panda they put a tracker in and find out how it's doing. <laughs> yeah. It was an amazing reveal to find out the Universal Soldier was really just like a bureaucrat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He just had this form. He's like, look, I know it's annoying. I have to answer these questions, but I just need you to answer your name, please. We got to start this. I just got to, I got to label the sample, man. Yeah. Give me your name. That was my favorite part of the whole episode. I'm like, oh, this guy's not that bad. He's just got to get his work done. That's true. Uh, and what we kind of learned through this is that the council has been testing five possible planets for resettlement. Uh, I guess via similar methods, penal colonists and Zed units tracking them. And they've been doing it on five planets, but uh, Earth 2 has been the most promising. I don't know why. It's got electric water. <laughs> and those other planets are even worse, man. There's electricity <laughs> everything. <laughs> and essentially they've been keeping it, because this is what my question was too. I'm just like, man, oh man, if they're doing all of this, how did Devin even get to come? Like, why did they not stop this? But I guess that was their, why they tried to blow up the ship. They're trying to stop it from getting here. But it's been done in secret by the council because they're trying to avoid an, a mass population exodus from the uh, satellites that would rival the, quote, 81 Skylift. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd like that. I love it when they drop this weird stuff. I'm just like, the exodus will be worse than the 81 Skylift. I'm like, oh, man, tell me more about the 81 Skylift. <laughs> but essentially, the, the, uh, because Danziger turns on his comms and he's, they're able to listen in on the conversations he's having with his dad, the Eden Project's able to kind of track down approximately where they are. And they kind of decide they want to take the Zed unit alive in the hopes of, you know, getting some more information, I guess, about Riley off of them. So they execute a plan to distract the Zed... And, I guess, disable him while getting Danzinger. And this involves, like, because it tracks technology and guns, they give Zed the ro- or Zero the robot a gun and then send him off to distract, uh, distract the Zed monster thing. I don't know why I think he's a monster now. He's just a bureaucrat. He's not a monster, Luke. Him and Morgan are monsters. <laughs> Did they send the Banes, the, like, side character who suddenly gets all these lines? He gets a, he gets a heroic moment where he has to try to take down the Zed. We've said it before. There's a very large cast here. And sometimes, I I know with shows that have large cast, they have difficulty having everyone have a moment. But I like that they have these two side characters, Baines and whatever that woman with the mushroom cut is. And it's like, oh, we have extra dialogue. We'll just give it to those people. It's like, but you already have 11 main characters that you could give any of these lines to. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was funny because they gave him the chance to, like, take down the Zed. I'm like, wow, they're really giving him a starring part of this role. At any rate, though, that doesn't go work, so Heller intervenes and uses her counsel talk to, like, trick him into thinking she's working for Riley or something, and then she's able to, like, use her hypospray to, like, sedate him via the base of his neck, so they capture him. In the process, she gets her hand broken, so now it's up to Devin to use the Nintendo Power Glove to do surgery on Danzinger to get the bullet out. Mm-hmm. Clearly, anybody could do her job. <laughs> If I was her, I would have said, no, there's no way you can do it. I still have to do it with my broken wrist because they've already kicked her out once. And now they've probably just realized, oh, all she is is that power glove. <laughs> yeah, what did, what did she do in the last episode that everyone got mad at her for? Treason. Oh, yeah, you told me already. that She's talking to the guy from Lost. Yeah, exactly. And, and they didn't like that. And then they didn't mind it. And then they're, they decided she's forgiven now that she saved three of their lives. And uh, 
We, yeah, this is basically what happens is we come to this end. They've captured the Zed. The Zed kind of explains a few more pieces of information we need, like where Riley has been this whole time. Apparently, he's on a satellite orbiting orbiting Earth 2. That's where the council's set up. They've got some sort of secret council satellite. And apparently, he's also lost track of all these Zed units. Like, the Zed's complaining. He's like, I've got like 14 reports in my, fi- my databank. <laughs> no one's picked them up. I'm just trying to file them. He really is just like a bureaucrat. It's hilarious. And what does he do because he can't take it anymore? Well, he's like, I'm not, because they're trying to convince him they work for Riley. He's like, no way am I going back up to that satellite to have another bureaucratic meeting. I'm taking a cyanide <laughs> tablet and dying. And he really wanted, he was like, his like last wish was like, please take these files I've been working on. <laughs> yeah, he's like, don't, don't make all my paperwork, in, please don't make my work in vain. At least take it. <laughs> I was a little sad. I was really hoping they were going to like have this Zed on their team now because he was a character I was really enjoying watching. The, the actor playing him was like very entertaining to me, just like half bureaucrat, half unstoppable soldier, but like also seemed to like kind of not like his job. I was like, oh, he should just join the cast. It would be funny if this show, um, you said it earlier, is that, you know, they are very interested in just resetting all the time. But how interesting would it be in a show if every episode, like a character is gone and they're replaced by someone else? You know, Julia's gone. Now we got Universal Soldier. The other guy's gone. And then uh, now there's a, a Grendler with them. It'd be great if, like, the cast just changes every week. And by the, by week 10, you're like, I don't even know who these people are. It wouldn't be a bad idea. Even if you had, like, a few core cast and then you had, like, guest stars who did three-episode arcs and mm-hmm. you just, like, constantly replace them with new guest stars. But instead we have Julia with her broken wrist. Well, we do know there are more Zed units, so I have a feeling we're going to see this guy again. Well, not him, but someone who also has uh, Dennis Hopper's Koopa hair. I, in my mind, they're just going to be the same actor every time. <laughs> um, but essentially what happens at the end, it, it wraps up with Dr. Heller returning to the virtual to confront Riley about this Zed that's been hunting them. And Riley's just like, well, bad news for you. You won't tell me your location, but there's only so many Zed territories. So you really narrowed it down. I feel like... Before, he didn't know where they were on the planet, but now he's like, there's like 14 possible places I think you can be now. And then, like, the entire cast of the Eden Project jumps into the virtual and reveals that, like, the jig the jig is up. We know all about your uh, your secret plans. And then Julia, like, throws her pill off, the, her communications pill off the side of the cliff. And uh, I guess we've set aside the uh, Riley Council plot for a while. And uh, everybody's, Julia's forgiven. Everything's back to normal. <laughs> And that guy never got to file his paperwork. <laughs> Truly the biggest tragedy of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about Universal Soldier? If, like, that guy had a Tinder profile in, like, <laughs> Toronto. Go on. Like, there's, like, you know, he'd get some likes, I feel like. You know, like, that sweet hair and, like, that leather jacket and, like, really good at paperwork. He's not a bad-looking like, man. Yeah. He was, like, missing an eye, I think, but, like, still, like, really had a lot of confidence. I think he'd be better in texting, though, than in person. I think his uh, conversational skills aren't great. See, this is the missed opportunity, man. Keep him on the cast. Now you have another bureaucrat who's a robot. Morgan's jealous of him because he he thinks Bess is in love with the robot. With the robot, man. Maybe. (laughs) Be great. Great episodes. I also was wondering, like, what acting school did Clancy Brown go to between Earth 2 and Shawshank Redemption? Because it's like, there's a disparity in skills between those two performances. I don't think it's the performance. I think it may be the material. (laughs) Clancy Brown, unfortunately, is saddled with grumpy old man who loves to work on cars. Oh, man, it was like so funny to see him. 
he is he is a treat it is a treat to see him on this show that's for sure yeah even if he doesn't get much to do all right you guys next episode episode 11 here's the imdb summary for moon cross <laughs> with narration by alonzo <laughs> we took comfort in knowing that in seeing mary the spirits of her father and mother finally rested the outcastarians who had slaughtered them could also finally rest and the chance for making a better home was where it belonged. In the hands of all living species who share this second earth. With narration by Alonzo, the approaching winter prompts Yuli to reveal the location of Mary's garden, a vacated dome. <laughs> Alonzo later meets Mary, a woman whose strange past is revealed when the moons cross in the sky. Uh, and that, of course, again, was courtesy of R.W. Zimdapa. If there's something I noticed from this episode, and I think we've had it in other shows, Luke, I find any character like Mary who we're going to learn, uh, who we're going to meet in this show, I just find these characters annoying. I hate that there's a plot that sci-fi seems to do. It's like, what if we find this wild person and we have to like teach them how to be human again? I, I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to see the actor pretend to be, you know, animalistic. It's just embarrassing for everyone involved. It's terrible, and like she speaks perfect English, but she's like talking slow, like she's just learned the language or something. It's like no, you have every single word. You don't need to like. Yeah, you either don't know or you do know. Yeah, she's just very pedantic with her delivery. This is this is a very voiceover heavy episode. Uh, Alonzo is going to be our main voiceover person, but he basically has to explain everything because there's so much Terrian lore, and what we know about the Terrians is they don't speak. So it's just constant voiceover of, ter- of Alonzo trying to explain to us what exactly we're seeing going on. Early on, uh, it's in one of these first scenes where he's giving his voiceover. He says something that I really enjoyed. He's talking about, I think he's like, oh, it started, the weather got cold, and I thought that was going to be the worst thing. But as usual, I was wrong. And I thought, is he usually wrong? That's not something we've seen. <laughs> is this just something we're supposed to know about him? We never actually see him much in these episodes, but off screen, he's always like predicting what's going to happen that day. And he's just always gets it wrong. <laughs> it just was such a weird thing to put in the voiceover. Like, as usual, I was wrong. I'm like, okay. Because he was worried about the bullets, but then he realized he has to worry about the explosion. Mm, <laughs> that's true. I also just want to say like that when Luke was reading the description, like also, by the way, whoever's doing the uh, synopses is nailing it. It really does like give you a bird's eye view of just like how many plot points they're throwing into a single episode. It's like, okay, you have the moon crossing, you have this like sacrificial aliens, and then you have like the ghost. <laughs> it's crazy. There's so much to get into this episode. It's crazy. Like basically Alonzo reveals via voiceover that the Tarians are telling him that the two moons above Earth 2 are about to cross, and that means it's time for Yuli to come join the Tarians. Devin, of course, is displeased because it involves her son. I believe she says, uh, at some point she complains, she's like, we saved them from Gaul. Like, what more do they want from me? My son's cured, but I've done enough for them. Thank you very much. (laughs) Even though they made it as clear as this particular alien can that they've only healed her son, uh, there's strings attached with with this healing they've done. But she still thinks like, oh, well, I got what I wanted. And we helped them that one time. Isn't that enough? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but also, as you mentioned, winter is coming. So they're needing to find shelter so they can survive the winter. So they're kind of looking around for a place to like hunker down. But uh, Yuli's had a vision that a place nearby that they can stay at. Um, so he runs off to show them this abandoned geodesic greenhouse dome that he calls Mary's Garden. Just before he shows them where this geodome thing is, I, well, I can't remember. One of the characters has surveyed the area to see which direction they should go in or if there's a good place for shelter. And they're like, we've tried south and we've tried west. Maybe we'll go east. And they're like, there's nothing around here. And then Yuli walks two feet and goes, hey, there's a thing right here. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I, like you have the worst people searching for things. Yeah, the kid found it five feet away from me. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, I sorry, I forgot to look to the left. <laughs> so I didn't, didn't use my eyes. <laughs> Zero was like, I know there's something around here, but I don't know. Yeah, Zero just can't narrow in on anything. He's like, well, oh, there's something around here somewhere. Couldn't tell you where, though. <laughs> I really just felt like this episode was like Game of Thrones. There's, like, winter is coming, and there's, like, (laughs) romance with, like, a wildling who, like, hasn't bathed in a long time, and, like, you know, oh, like... Good comparison. Yeah, 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 this show is exactly like Game of Thrones, you're right. (laughs) Production value was, like, basically the same. This geodesic dome they found is is clearly built by humans and uh, has been abandoned for about 15 to 20 years, they figure. There's even, like, a little project logo on the side that no one recognizes, And uh, they ask Yale, since he has that Wikipedia in his brain, to uh, try to figure out what it is. But he's forced to stop because uh, apparently this logo has something to do with his pre-wash identity. So his aversion mechanism won't let him dig into those files. But getting back to the geodome, and sorry, I don't want to harp on this too much, but... They find the dome, and inside you see there's plants and stuff, and it has a like some self-perpetuating heating system, I guess, and watering system. And I get that, but how is that going to help them? They're all not going to be able to get in there. Are they somehow going to connect? Because what we see is them setting up tents around it. I'm like, but those tents will still be cold. Yeah, I didn't get that either. I think it's just going to be there as an emergency, maybe. Like, if things get really cold, they'll all move inside. It was unclear. They clear, they hadn't set up a plan yet. They do mention, though, that they found more structures they could build nearby. Oh, maybe. Oh. And that those structures had winter clothes. Like, it was all, like, yeah. it very conveniently had everything they needed for the winter, I think, was the idea. They're like, and just my size. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird because, like, the dome did not look warm. It's, like, paper thin outside. I was like, well, that's not going to... <laughs> that's not gonna be better future material also what i don't know like exactly like a lot about how moons and suns work but i'm pretty sure the moons don't make it winter i'm pretty sure you need the star to i think that might have been unrelated <laughs> really i yeah. thought the moon crossing was why it was winter why winter was coming no i felt that that was just unrelated information <laughs> I think it's unrelated too. But what I like is I think if you are setting up a biodome on a planet and you're, you know, you need to have all your supplies and stuff you need, if you're going to bring a chair, I would say a rocking chair is the one you bring. <laughs> well, let's let's go back. It's the creepy sound. Yeah. <laughs> let's go back to Yale really quickly because he can't search this because it's out of his pre his pre-wash identity. So he doesn't he can't search what this logo is. But he does very quickly uh, retrieve his own memories, I guess. I guess those are still in his head somewhere. And he realizes that this logo belongs to a group of radical biologists who wanted to use these domes to preserve plant life from Earth. So somehow we have now radical biologists from 20 years ago also settled Earth. Like, how many people have settled Earth to before them? I mean, maybe the whole point is that 
just how little information people living on these um, space colonies or whatever the, the space stations have been receiving. But it does seem like every episode they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, these people are also here. Oh, by the way, these people are also here. To layer, I mean, this is basically new information, though I think you and I, Jordan, have seen this maybe coming. But to layer on new information on new information, this geodome greenhouse is also haunted. (laughs) Well, well, it it may be or may not be. It's it's very weird because I actually thought when we first, because what we're going to see very soon is almost a kind of classic horror sort of thing like there there might be ghosts and chairs are creaking and sort of things and i thought weird they're gonna do like almost like a halloween episode but that's not what they do nope quite truly i think we can officially say there is an afterlife on earth too because yeah there's a rocking chair that spooks Devin. she truly sees a ghost sitting in it at some point it's it's crazy we have now we have now basically added to earth 2's mythology a full active afterlife i i just loved how like the ghost and that woman like had just so much in common they just like really care about their children you know they have <laughs> i mean that is Devin's only character trait it feels like yeah it is her only character trait she's a mom that so is that ghost so, so is that ghost and those uh weird phantom tarians attack the dome while she's in there didn't this feel like this was like four episodes that they just went, oh, we'll just take a piece of all these leftover and we'll just jam them all together. Yeah. It makes sense. Winter, moons, ghosts, uh, uh, weird woman who makes uh, odd noises. It all fits. Tarion afterlife. The, the Tarians that like aren't allowed to die, so they're just pissed and like going around <laughs> stealing children. If you're not allowed to go to the afterlife and you're irritated, I think the best way to show it is by growing like a ponytail. Um, let's get into that because this night that's happening where this haunting's going on, uh, Solace is also sleeping away from camp for some reason. He seems to be like, seems to have moved away from camp where he's attacked by these outcast-tarians in his sleep. And they're a little bit rough around the edges. These are, these are the ponytail ones you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's saved by this young woman we've mentioned. We'll find that her name is Mary, but she's covered in dirt and she's been raised by tarians. Classic raised by wolf situation. Will, what does the noise sound like that she makes? <laughs> That's pretty good. It is. They have like a weird, they all... T- I've been doing it all morning. They talk to those, they talk to the Tarians, and it's like a weird dolphin noisy kind of thing. I was also doing it after the episode. I was like... <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out if it was like, I'm in danger, or I need your attention to other Tarians, or like, I'm upset, or I'm just like... But it's, and it's actually like a range of, it means anything. I was listening to a completely unsubstantiated conversation about uh, Vin Diesel playing I'm in, I'm Groot in uh, in those movies, and they were saying there's like the rumor I guess is that he goes in and he records each one of those individually, and apparently he insists on being told what his motivation is every time before he says I am Groot. No way. <laughs> that's that's what this it's unsubstantiated rumors, but I just want to believe that Vin Diesel's like in a room being like, what's my motivation here? Am I afraid? Am I happy? Okay, great. I am Groot. Well, I just love that, like, Vin Diesel has finally committed to his craft. (laughs) (laughs) But that is, I feel, just like these things. It's like, you get, you're you're like, you're talking to Terry and just make a sound. You're like, but what's the sound mean? I don't care. I don't know. Who cares? Just make a sound. In defense of this actress, she's trying. She's like, I'm going to give it everything I can give. If she's got to walk from point A to point B, she's going to do it big. 
And if she's got to make her little call, <laughs> it's going to be big. You know, it's and she's given it for not a lot to work with. Yo, she's just fine. Like, I actually, like, don't hate this episode. She's, like, doing a lot with, like, the weird, weird plot she's been dropped into. Yeah. I laughed every time she did the, the sound, though. Every single time. It's a great and, sound. And what did it sound like again? But essentially what happens is these Tarian, these outcast Tarians attack Alonzo. Mary shows up, drives them away. And then she just also knocks Alonzo unconscious. Yeah. She bonks him. It's like a classic, like, <laughs> classic caveman bonk. Yeah, yeah. It was very, uh, you know, Animaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Steven Spielberg's influence came yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, he goes into the dream world where he, like, experiences what's going on with the Tarians. But then he also wakes up from the dream and is just also in the same cave he was in the dream. I was, like, a little lost here a bit, but. Basically, what Alonzo explains to us is that when the two moons cross, it's called uh, the moon cross happens, if you will. The Tarians have a ritual known as going in. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like no one put in much effort into coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what it is is the Tarians go into this big misty pit that's, uh, I guess, lighted by the moon, and they return to the earth. And this is, I guess, their equivalent of dying or going to heaven. Like, they get basically... Just get to return to the Earth. Uh, we've been theorizing that they are part of this planet. Like, the planet and the Terrians are the same. I think this is pretty much saying that in their return to the Earth. And um, as you mentioned, the outcasts have been banned from ever dying for the crimes they've committed. So that's why they're, I guess, very menacing during Mooncross. Because they're just, they're like, let us die. We don't want to live forever. Very existential of the episode. To... It, it is very, it's a very existential episode. And then also while Alonzo's learning all this about Mooncross and going in and all this dying, this uh, Mary character is just like, also, have you tried out a Terry in bed before? Do you guys feel like <laughs> this show, they were like, they got, they were like, they did six episodes and then they got like a 21 episode order and then they were just like, had to write it all in like a week and they're like, okay, it's, uh, it's like going in. Okay, yeah, great, 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 okay, just move on and like on to the next thing. I felt like this was just like they got to episode 11 and were like, oh, man, we have all this backstory in the Bible we haven't done anything about. Let's just overload it in this one episode. <laughs> in terms of the world building, I think the show has been pretty good and pretty subtle. But in terms of the mythology, it feels like the writers feel it's too much to get across. So they're like, just vomit it all over the audience and voiceover this one this episode in particular or dreams or whatever like yeah. they have like so many different ways of just like info dropping on you but uh jordan or will either one what happens when alonzo uses a terry in bed and also what is a terry in bed i'll let jordan field this one is this the part where she just pushes him into a wall and the wall he like glows a little bit and he's like that was real good <laughs> yeah, 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 he's like, I see your point, and, and then, but as the audience, we're like, what? What did that wall just tell you? You know, what would have been funnier? I'm not saying they wanted a funnier <laughs> scene, but what would have been funnier is he was pushed against the wall. He was like, that's real good, and they had a long shot, and he had an erection. <laughs> just a stain. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's like, I could see it was good. <laughs> Yes, they, they guess this is this is I guess to prove the point of why she wants to stay with the Tarians is because they have these like whatever they're doing down there, it's pretty cool. <laughs> but it is just getting pressed against a wall, right? <laughs> yeah, it's... 
Yeah, but then you glow for some reason. He's like, I think he says it's better than flying or something. Like, yeah. yeah, it felt like flying, but it like it had then it like changed his perspective, which like I imagine after you fly, you just can fly. I was also interested in that apparently the Tarians can teach the power to like sink into the ground because we see that like Mary girl like sink into the ground at some point too. The same way the Tarians do. I'm like, oh, I guess anybody can just learn this power. She's been biologically affected, Luke, but not as much as Yuli. That's true. We do find out she's been affected, but she's not linked to the Tarians like Yuli is, because that would really undercut the core story of this. I love that they have to get that in. They have to say, because Yuli's important as this sort of a messiah figure, or that's what they're setting up to be. But then they're like, oh, we have this other character. Let's do something with the Tarians. And they're like, oh, wait, that undercuts everything we're doing with this mythology. So um, she's not important. She's here, but she's not important. So don't worry about it, guys. (laughs) <laughs> at any rate uh mary basically says hey tonight's moon cross alonzo you gotta bring yuli back for moon cross he's gotta see moon cross you can't, <laughs> you can't let him miss it um and talos is like alonzo's just like yeah sure why not but in the meantime like we got a whole day before moon cross why don't you come back meet the eden project hang out with some humans it'll be a great time yeah and this is the part that i hated i hate the thing where we have to have a scene of her being like hug do you hug me I like, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to hear this. It's so stupid. <laughs> it paid off when she, like, he explains to her what touching is, and then, like, <laughs> later, she's, she's like, oh, yeah, buddy showed me about touching, and everyone kind of just looks at each other, like, oh, no, he's going to get me, too. You know what's funny about that, though? They want to play up that Julia might be jealous. They're like, he, Alonso taught me about touching later, and they have to have a reaction shot for everyone, but for some reason, they also do a reaction shot of the gir- little girl. I'm like, she doesn't know what's happening. I really like that because you're right like it's a real fish out of water scene and like the apparently the Tarians don't touch each other or something so she's shocked when she has to like hold Alonzo to like ride in the car with him and he explains hugging to her it's a classic girl get on the back of the motorbike <laughs> to later do a scene where she's with all the women from the show like all the women are with her giving her a bath to clean the dirt off her and then she out of nowhere says, Alonzo touch, taught me about touching. And you literally, yeah, all those individual shots where they're all giving looks like, oh, Alonzo molested this woman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like such a weird piece of comedy. But no one follows up on it either. No one's just like, we should find out what she means by this. Yeah, that's that was like the, it was indicative of the time, you know, like, oh, like, we're just not going to touch that one. Like, <laughs> no pun intended. Everyone's just like, oh. Classic Alonzo. Well, look the other way. Yeah, it is a, a whole fish out of water thing. Like, they're all explaining things to her about how, or, like, yeah, this is what being human is. Let's test you and find out how human you are. Like, uh, Devin explains to her, it's like, oh, this is where you grew up, in this dome with your family. Also, here are your parents' skeletons where they were murdered. Oh, yes. It did seem like they were um, asking a lot of her. Knowing that she, at best, might have a fragile state of mind. They were just like, hey, by the way, is your name Mary? It's Mary. Oh, this is your parents. They're dead, by the way. It's like, okay, just leave her. Um, but she just learned how to touch. <laughs> they do pile a lot onto her. Did you guys find it funny that, like, in the same subplots where, like, the Tarians are, like, dying or, like, going in is, like, the ultimate, like, freedom from, like, worry or stress and, like, the people that are alive are, like, in pain and, like, suffering, whereas... On the other side, it's like the other subplot is how someone has died and has like all this pain and suffering, and like death. <laughs> stuck it stuck in a terrible afterlife. Yeah. That is very funny. You know, where where do you guys stand on this? You know? Where do I stand on the afterlife? Yeah. 
Uh, I'm pro ghosts being uh, haunted by their un, uh, un, <laughs> undone uh, things in life and having to live in a, a terrible limbo. That's where I like it. I personally feel really bad when I see ghosts that for some reason in the afterlife are still like doing work because I'm assuming this ghost that we see like she still looks like she's like taking samples and stuff and I was like oh man even even in the afterlife she's still got to do this stuff you think she could like just relax so you want to tarry in death I want to tarry in death yeah absolutely well no first what I want to do is I want to get on that wall because apparently it's real good and then I want to go into the tarry in I want to go in (laughs) you're going in eh I'm going in big time There's also kind of as she's like, you know, meeting humans, they're bathing her, they're getting back to it, getting her back to humanity, letting her get a taste of it since she's been tearing so long. There's also a quick scene where she's training Yulian to use the Terry and the electro zapper staffs they have, Mm -hmm. which is a kind of a fun scene. She has her setting up like uh, jugs. Water bottles, yeah. And he's shooting them off the thing. And it's just very funny because they're doing this outside and someone comes in and like finds Devin. He's like, Devin, you better get outside and see this. And she goes outside. And she's so mad at her son. She's like, how dare you teach my son a skill? I'm furious about it. Similar to the thing you said, though, with, like, apparently anyone can go into the ground like the Tarians. Apparently anyone can use the staff, too. I mean, maybe it's just because it's Yuli, but I was just kind of like, oh, I thought that was, like, something special they did. They were able to, like, wield this thing, you know? I think it's because she's been sort of turned Tarian. Like, there's some sort of crossover supposed to be happening there, I think. And now she's being, he's being, like, he's, like, getting Jedi training, basically. Right, right. Also, I should say... The Yuli kid, if it hadn't been uh, evident yet, he's not a very good actor. So the more dialogue they give him, you're just like, oh, this kid is just is painful to watch. Um, but all of this is basically leading up to this idea that, like, obviously Yuli should go hang out for Mooncross Letarians because he obviously has some connection with him. And Devin will not allow it. She's just like, there's no way. You're not allowed to see the Tarians. You're staying here. And as night falls... Uh, we see Mary go and uh, hear her, hear the ghost of her mother calling to her from that uh, go from the from the greenhouse. Of course, Devin hears it too because she's in tune with mother ghosts. Her plotline in this episode is Devin hears things and goes to look for it, but doesn't tell anybody. That's her plotline. Um, and we basically get a scene where the ghost mom and Mary have a touching reunion that gives the ghost closer, so she can cross over to the a- to the afterlife, I guess. So she can go in. Uh, so she can go in exactly. And we get to learn that apparently it was the outcasts that killed her parents and stole... Uh, the, the outcasts killed her parents, and then the Tarians adopted Mary because they felt bad the outcast killed her parents. There's no indication as to why the outcasts did this. They just... They're, they got a lot of anger in them. And this sort of fills out Mary's backstory. And while this is happening, Yuli sneaks off in one of the go-karts to go, uh, to go visit the Tarians for Mooncross. And on his way, he bumps into these outcast Tarians... Which at first I thought were taking him hostage, but then when he gets to kind of the cave where you go in, Yuli basically negotiates with the Tarians a forgiveness. Like he just negotiates with them to let the outcast Tarians finally die. So he's like some sort of, you're right, he's some sort of messiah character. But there's something I thought weird about this because we're going to go through a, a couple more scenes before the end of the episode, but he goes to negotiate and convinces the other Tarians to let these uh, these outcasts come and die. But then at the end of this, they act as if he was sort of um, in a trance of sort or controlled by the Tarians themselves. So then my point is, if he doesn't remember any of this and he was controlled by the Tarians, why would the Tarians have put thoughts in his head to bring the outcast in if they didn't want the outcast in? Here's how I read it, because he, go- he 
brings him to the death pool. The he goes into the death pool with them. I was like, what's going to happen when uh, Yuli goes in? But uh, he just climbs out after Mooncross ends. It's just a lot of dry ice anyway. Yeah, uh, he climbs out after Mooncross ends, and he doesn't kind of remember anything that's happened. What I think it is is I think that Yuli. I think you're right. I think Yuli is a messiah of some sort, but there's like a secondary. Like, there's a secondary personality or something in him, like, mm. that's the messiah that takes over for his body. Because as they say, like, they kind of imply that when Mooncross happens, which is why they wanted Yuli to come there, is he goes full Tarian, or he becomes the full Tarian messiah or something. Right, right. So he, his little boy personality gets, I guess, shunted down somewhere, and he becomes this, like, higher being or something. So he right. goes full Tarian during Mooncross. I think that's the idea. But you're right. It was like... I, it's just another new layer on top of like so many new like mythology layers added to this episode. Like it is like so much happening mm-hmm. in a show where nothing has happened for so long. Every episode, they're kind of traveling somewhere, and then something happens to kind of build onto either mythology or learn something about the characters. But it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't seem to amount to much. I mean, Will was blown away. To be honest, like I, like there was so much different shit happening, and I was like. I had to look up if that boy was the same boy from Jurassic Park. <laughs> Everyone who's come on this show about this has said the same thing. They're like, is that the kid from Jurassic Park? Yeah, it is not. Nope. But uh, yeah, I was just like, all right, when is, when is this going to wrap up? <laughs> <laughs> You're just checking out. You're like, this is too yeah. much information. <laughs> this is insane. But I mean, basically the episode wraps up with uh, the Eden Project basically hunkers down for winter in the dome and then Mary chooses to go live with her Tarian family. And, you know, we can't have another character join the show. And that's sort of the end where we're leaving them as winter starts and they're they're setting up for winter. I wanted the uh, Universal Soldier to come back and like maybe go in with the Tarians. Oh, well, what a nice ending for him. That would have been much better than the Cyanide Capsule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although maybe the ghost will follow them around for a bit. <laughs> He'll still be taking reports, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> was this uh, was this like one of the like? Do you guys have favorite episodes of the season? Let's talk. About, well, let's do that when we get to the ratings, maybe, because uh, I think that's a good. This is some good information to talk about. I assume that's everyone's notes. Uh, no one has any other notes to get into, so maybe we get into the ratings of this. Do we mention how how ridiculous that uh, poor actress was? Yeah. You you yeah you definitely found her uh, having to do too much. This is like this is like when someone has to dance on a show. You really hate it. I always just feel embarrassed for the actors having to do really ridiculous things. It's their job, Jordan. I suppose it's the job they signed up for. Do you guys want to talk at all about like like a moon cross? Like... <laughs> yeah, do you want to describe the moon cross? I guess we never did. Name of the episode and this big event, but it was just it's just two moons narrowly missing each other. Or? Yeah, it's it is basically like an eclipse but with two moons. Like it's a good effect. Like it's a good effect. You're gonna see a big moon and a slightly smaller moon in front of it, and the kind of as they, like as the two ends of them meet, it like shoots a light out or something. Yeah. And apparently that light glows until the until the moons separate again. It opens a portal for Tarians to die into, is what I understood. Yes, that is, I think that's the that's. They can only go in during the moon. It's all a little unclear as to why, but it's just, it's, it's so magical and mystical. So my question is, is like, if there was a moon crossing or if there was, you know, Northern lights or if there was, uh, you know, shooting stars, which would you be the most excited to go out and watch? Hmm. I think the moon crossing is still number three. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're right. I think... (laughs) They kind of set up Mooncross by saying it 45 times. You're like, oh, yeah, it's just Moon's crossing. 
it is i think the excitement of it is that you get to see two moons in the sky for two seconds in a sci-fi show but you're right it doesn't have like a lot of lasting appeal i thought it was funny i was like i can't wait to find out like the uh astronom- astronomical explanation of these two moons in, in this world logic but you know you never get it <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing just two moons don't worry about it. it's it's a crazy plan <laughs> all right you guys let, let's let's rate these episodes shall we um well, why don't we start with you on Redemption, the Universal Soldier episode? We usually do this out of 10, if you don't remember. Uh, I'm going to give uh, Universal Soldier a six and a half. Six and a half. Yeah. Do you want to go next or do you want me to go next, Jordan? You go next. I'm going to be honest. I enjoyed this episode. I like the Universal Soldier. It was like an episode where something was finally happening on the show. And I just was into the whole thing. So I'm giving it an eight. I'm actually somewhere right in between, I think. It's pretty dumb, but for this show, it was a more entertaining episode, even though I think the execution wasn't great, and I think this could have been a lot better, but I'm going to give it a 7, just because I thought, compared to some of the other episodes we've seen previously, this was pretty entertaining. This was this was a lot of dumb fun, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. And then we'll do Mooncross. Do you want, you want to start us off again here, Will? I'm giving Mooncross, you know, part of me wants to give it like a 1, because of oh, the wow. but then part of me... <laughs> Part of me thinks it was awesome, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a five, right down the middle. Yeah, can't tell if it's awesome or terrible. You know, weirdly, I feel somewhat similar about this. Is like some of it was really stupid, and some of it was like I was like, oh, I'm glad I'm getting all this mythology finally. Like, I don't know why I'm getting it all in one super condensed episode, but I've been waiting for you to fill out some of these questions for me, Earth Two. So I'm a little torn on it as well. I think I'm going to give it a 6.5 just for how clunky it is, but I'm still happy to be finally watching an episode where like they were filling in the world for me a bit more. I think this episode in some ways is sort of indicative of the show as a whole. It's functional, like rarely outright bad, but it's fundamentally unmemorable. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10 as well. There you go. All right. Well, I'm not sure if the listener remembers because it was so many, so many months ago, but... Uh, we are going to take a break from Earth 2 now because we are halfway through the series. We're going to take like a, a midpoint break. We're going to watch some other series. We're going to... We have no idea when we're coming back to this yet. But before the year is out, we will be back to finish Earth 2 off. It's going to feel like coming back and seeing old friends. It's going to be like coming back to your biodome and seeing your ghost mother. <laughs> I do agree that I'm uh, probably going to feel nostalgic when we come back to it, I think. I think so. Do you know who you're going to have on for the... Uh the final episodes of the series yeah your dad and your sister okay i think that's a great idea (laughs) that's what you're about to pitch to us right (laughs) i I think you should definitely have my dad on the show that that would be very interesting i don't know how that would go does he know what a podcast is he does well that's a good step that's good that that would help i feel like he would give you a lot of context because he's like you know he knows all about like stargate and he's watched earth 2 and like he like as an adult so he'll remember it and like he'll be able to you know dive in with you guys it'd be really funny if he like had a very vivid memory of he's like oh yeah this show's awful we just watched it because will would not shut up about it (laughs) every week will's just like earth 2 well i got on this uh, this thing talking about how we're going to move on from the show but i thought before we leave we should find out where the series is falling at the midway point what do you think oh, okay Jordan? yeah let's uh let's uh, punch into the old uh what do we call this machine continuing drag computer that's the one <laughs> our mythology is so deep you can't even remember <laughs> i can't remember yeah yeah all right give me a second
All right, gentlemen, you want to know where Earth 2 is coming at the midway point? I'd love to. It is uh, r- currently rated at 5.86. Oh, that's, yeah, that's probably about right. I'm surprised it's as low as it is, but there's been some bad episodes. <laughs> there's been some bad ones, yeah. That about wraps it up. Jordan, before we, before we wrap the episode up, since we're not going to come back to Earth 2 for several months, I would like your prediction. Do you think in the next episode... Will they be in the middle of winter, or will winter just be over and we never saw any of it? It'll be over. I don't think they want to have to buy the cast more jackets. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to change where they shoot. Exactly. Um, I kind of feel like it, too, but what I'm going to imagine in these months we're gone, that we're missing all the winter episodes, so when we come back, it'll be like winter is over. That'll be the first line in the next episode. Like, ah, it's so nice and warm now, finally. <laughs> Spring is here. Yeah. Um, but yes, that wraps it up for this episode and for Earth 2 for the time being. Will, thank you so much for joining us again and uh, watching these two episodes. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. And uh, if you have any thoughts on Earth 2 as we move on to other series for a little bit, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some clips of Universal Soldiers for sure on this episode's uh, uh, Instagram stuff at uh, continuumdrags that handle. I should actually put actual Universal Soldiers clips and see if that gets taken down. <laughs> <laughs> Can I make a request that we get the wall uh, when he gets pushed into the wall? Be like, of okay, course. you make an interesting point. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll definitely have to find that wall. And uh, that's it. I guess that's it. That wraps up this episode. So, uh, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.